Hello and welcome to another episode of The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Um, folks, yeah, this, this show is organized around this notion of the soul of business. And, um, you know, the, the, the question about where does the soul reside is an interesting question to unbundle, uh, particularly when we put it in the framing of, uh, of leadership. Um, yeah, I've been doing leadership development work, L&D work, uh, oh, good Lord, you know, almost 45 years now. And when I first started, there was a whole lot of focus on the cognitive uh, fo- uh, development or the, 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 the development of a cognitive approach to leadership development. And, you know, you got to kind of think yourself into where you want to go and that sort of stuff, um, which is all well and good. There's no, no problem with that, uh, just... Uh, performo here but yeah the idea that that is all of what we want to focus on as leaders yeah is is something uh that is a bit of a fallacy here and it's not more than just a bit of a fallacy it actually gets us uh, into i think some significant deep water if we're not really paying attention um my guest today rachel Ryder, uh has got a fascinating book out called who you are is how you lead and I'm struck by this title. It's not what you do is how you lead. It's who you are that is how you lead. And she's done some fascinating work um, in her own personal development that has lent itself to the development of the organization that she founded uh, and is now leading. Uh, it's called MetaWorks. And uh, she got her uh, coaching uh, certification at Columbia University. And and and, his, and she is steeped in some very interesting you know, uh, old traditions that speak to uh, something other than just cognition. And it really is about this inner life uh, that the leader can't not bring to the table. Yeah, my yeah, who I am goes with me wherever I am. Uh, and I can try and compartmentalize that. I can try and say, well, I'm different at work than I am at home. Yeah, no, you're not. <laughs> the who you are shows up. Now, you can put on a different suit of clothes and you can behave a little bit differently, but that doesn't address the who. So I wanted to have a conversation um, with Rachel here about this because it's very in alignment with the work that I do with my clients. And I love the way that she approaches this. So uh, strap in. I think we're going to have a fascinating conversation. And I, I just want to welcome... Rachel Ryder, to the show. How you doing? It's so good to be here, Blaine. Thank you for having me. Oh, my my absolute pr- uh, pleasure. Uh, I, I want to just start with just this notion of the soul of business. Um, when you hear that phrase, what does that bring up for you? You know, I actually <clears throat> am a firm believer that your business has an energy and has a soul. And that in order to be as powerful a leader as you can, is you need to have a very positive and strong relationship and connection to the energy, the soul of your business. And so I deeply believe actually that when we talk about the soul of the business and the soul of ourselves, that we have to be in true connection and in a beautiful dance with ourselves and our business in order to actually care for it and allow it to care for us. So I actually see 
our business, the company we lead and work in as having a true soul. And the more we nurture and attend to and understand that, the better we can show up for it and ourselves and the better it can show up for us. Yeah. So that brings up the question, how do I understand that soul? Yeah. How do I find a way to begin to make it visible, number one, so that I can begin to appreciate what it is, number two? Yeah. What a beautiful question. So I actually do this a lot with my clients, not just with understanding the soul of their business, but energies that they try are maybe trying to access within themselves. I had a client recently who um, was third generation in a very successful family business, first female leader. And she was talking to me about how she doesn't know what feminine leadership looks like because her model has been such masculine leadership. Yeah. And so I actually think what we did with her actually mirrors what you and I are talking about in terms of accessing the soul of your business. Cause I've done that with my clients too, is going on a deep journey within almost a meditative state where you go to a sacred place within yourself and actually invite that energy to meet you. And I actually did that with her um, saying, you know, invite the feminine leadership energy to greet you, to, to offer you something And she was blown away by what visited her. It was this old, wise woman in furs, and she handed her a gift. And so I feel like this is actually the beautiful kickoff to our conversation about how this work is not just living in the cognitive realm, but it actually arrives in the spiritual and somatic realm. And the more we can I would say the cognitive is important. We need to be aligned with our cognitive minds and our psyches. It needs to make sense. And that cognition also needs to be in alignment and in conversation with our spiritual experience, with our somatic experience. And so when we have a journey inward and experience what the feminine leadership feels like or what the soul of our business is, then we can pull that up as we're thinking cognitively, how do I want to engage with my business differently? Uh Then we have that felt sense of what it needs and what it wants. You know, I, I, I love that call to invite it in, to invite it to, yeah, to appear. Yeah. Far too often I've worked with people where they're going, I've got to go find my purpose. No, you don't need to go find your, your purpose is already there and it's the noise in your head and it's the noise around you that is preventing you from actually noticing what that purpose actually is and what it could be and how it gets expressed. In the work that you do with your clients, once, you know, and we'll just take this woman as an example. Once, you know, that, that wise woman showed up, how did you work with her to actually have it be something that was fungible, that we could actually yeah. do something with or that she could actually yeah. do something with? I love that. And I really love this question, Blaine, because I feel like this is the work that both you and I do, which is we are the conduit between the ephemeral or ethereal and the concrete that our actual gems that we offer is that translation Mm -hmm. from how did she have this powerful experience to the concrete? What did that look like? 
And so this is the thing about the somatic or the inward journey that is so powerful um, that it it is non-cognitive is she actually had this felt sense of the power of this woman. She felt it in her body. She, as we're doing the, the journey inward, she, she said the power of this woman took her breath away. And so having knowing that on a neurological level means you can access it actually quicker mm-hmm. and deeper than the, the cognitive. And so what we started to play with is cognitively identifying, okay, where are there moments actually she does want to show up in this energy? Usually it was in the boardroom with her father, you know, uh-huh. with her brother, where she wanted to show up differently than how they were doing it where there were a lot of strong opinions and old baggage. And so once we cognitively identified these scenarios where it was really important for her to embody this different energy, we had a kind of a map or template. So she had this intentionality when she stepped into these meetings specifically that she could then invoke that experience. She could Sometimes she would feel that old, wise woman standing next to her and speaking through her. Sometimes it was just the felt sense of her in her that would allow her to speak from a very different energetic point that could help disrupt some really old relational dynamics in the room. Yeah, I love that because you interrupt the pattern, something else becomes possible. And, And as long as the pattern's running, nothing else can get in. Um, I love the way that you talk about the uh, the somatic uh, experience. Uh, yeah, I know that you spent three years uh, earlier, uh, you know, learning a, a whole somatic. You know, I'll use the word discourse, but it was a, really uh, an epistemology, just kind of getting into what is this really about. And yeah, you know, I'm a certified master somatic coach. Uh, I spent about also about three years, you know, working in this domain. And one of the things that has always struck me and, and my mentor, my teacher at that time, Richard Strozzi, uh, said, yeah, the beauty of working with somatics is that everybody's got a body and the body goes everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if, yeah, and, and, and the body is an incredible resource, not just because it carries your head, but because it is an incredibly rich communication conduit that if you're tuned into it, you can really begin to notice things that you've never noticed before and possibilities emerge in ways that they've never been able to emerge before. And it's having to do with just paying attention to you know, the, the sensational dynamic that, that lives in my body. It's, it's a fine-tuned tuning fork. I mean, it, it, it vibrates in some fascinating ways depending on what the stimulus is. And at least this is my experience. And being able to decipher that 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 messaging uh is is part and parcel of I know the work that you do with your clients. Um yeah, yeah go ahead. Go ahead. I yeah I'm well, just kind of prefacing some say, things there. Yes, no, I I totally agree. Um it's so good to know that you worked with um Strozzi. I worked with Peter Levine. Um oh, and Peter. my team. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so Peter Levine is the founder of somatic experiencing and so really works in trauma in the nervous system. And so I want to be very clear. I don't work with trauma, but the premise stands that things live within the nervous system 
um, that don't know time or cognitive yeah. processing. And I love to talk about with my leaders that if your brain knows something is okay, but your body does not, that is a beautiful sign that something is living stuck in the nervous system. So yeah. an example, I have a CEO, he runs a hundred person organization, $200 million organization. There's a lot on the line. The tech industry is tough right now. And we've been talking about how he knows he's going to be okay. He's very well respected. If this venture doesn't work out, something else will. He's got a beautiful network. And yet he is having panic attacks at night. Yeah. And we've talked about how clearly when there's a disconnect between mind and body, something's stuck and living in the body. And we've talked about how the panic of it not being okay, despite him knowing his survival doesn't depend on it, means that that experience is very young. And so yeah. what we worked with is how do we pull out... <clears throat> His young kid from his nervous system to know it doesn't need to be in charge anymore. It doesn't yeah. have to take care of him anymore. We did this beautiful work around how when he starts to experience the bodily experience of panic, that he see his little child, the little version of him playing with his dog. Yeah. And that that little version of him can play with the dog while he shows up to the board meeting talking about their new direction. Yeah. And so just the power in, and I even remember him, him being in, in one of our sessions and being like, okay, this doesn't make any sense. But, and I was like, exactly. We are working in the body. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It doesn't work up here. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, and I'll just check this out with you, but yeah, every leader that I've ever worked with, uh, there's a story about who they are that kind of gets in the room before they do. Uh, mm -hmm. so people end up dealing with the story rather than the person. And as a consequence of that, you know, there's all kinds of you know, noise that gets into the, the conversation that makes it difficult to move. And the leader themselves also is very cognizant oftentimes of their story, just as you were talking about with this, uh, this, this, this fellow, uh, there's a story about who I think I am. You know, I'm the kind of person who I'm, the, I'm not the kind of person who all that kind of stuff. And. What I've found is that every story has at least three components to it that can be worked with. You know, and one of them is the, the, the uh, philosophy. It's kind of my way of understanding the world. And then the other is the psychology. It's kind of how I position myself in the world. And then the other one is the physiology, how I move through the world. Mm -hmm. And I found that the physiology, which is a somatic exploration, the physiology is actually the easiest one to facilitate a breakthrough with if you can actually mm. you know, begin to work with people on that physiological which is a somatic conversation yeah you know, how, how are you holding yourself where's your breathing where do you notice tightness you know, notice the distinction between sensation and feeling how does it get encoded you know those sorts of things that kind of an inquiry begins to open up stuff that a simple cognitive didactic uh, cognitive conversation oftentimes doesn't because it may make intellectual sense, but it doesn't move because the body's stuck. Oh, it, I completely it, agree. Yeah. And I think, I think that's such a beautiful way to put it, Blaine. And I think that's why, you know, 
when I've been working with folks and in organizations, someone will say, I don't, I once worked with a, a leader, a co-founder who was just being alienated by his team because he had such sharp elbows. People were working around him, working with the other co-founder and we were working together for a while. And someone put in his 360 feedback, like, I don't know what you did with the old, but um, I don't want them back. This new one is terrific. Um, and, and, and it's because mm -hmm. we go to Makes the body, a difference. because that is the shortcut, because often the cognitive is playing out the conflict with itself and the body. The nature of life is evidenced in nature. Nature grows, and all of nature honors the desire to be more, to have more, and to do more. Life thrives when it's allowed to grow. And ideally, thriving is what we also, all of us, want to be able to do. Unfortunately, at some stage in life, most people find themselves settling into what I can only call a rut. And a rut is nothing more than a coffin with the ends kicked out. You want to quickly get out of any rut that you find yourself in. When you stop growing, that's when the coffin starts to appear. You know, the simple truth is this, and this is true for everything in nature. You're going to die. I'm going to die. Every one of us dies. So the question we need to come to grips with is not are we going to die. The question nature asks us to answer is are we truly living? That's what motivation is about. It's the desire to move. It's the desire to grow and to excel. Have I lived? How have I lived? I'd love for you to take advantage of my Leadership Mindset Masterclass. It's all about providing you with the tools to ensure thriving for yourself and for those around you. Register today to receive the free introduction video and find out more about this acclaimed program. You'll also receive a copy of my international number one bestseller, Compassionate Capitalism, A Journey to the Soul of Business. I'm Blaine Bartlett, and I look forward to helping you thrive. Back, folks. Uh, before Rachel and I took a break, uh, I, I uh, unceremoniously interrupted her because I wanted to get something in place here, and we're going to pick it up where we left off before. So you were talking about a client. Are you going to, you were going to begin to reference a client that, you know, in this, in this whole somatic discourse, you had a very interesting experience with that. Yeah. Kind of pick it up from there. Yeah, if you you know, might. I feel like what you're talking about, about the somatic piece being the short, I, I hate to use the word shortcut because somatics is a very powerful, not shortcut tool, but if you're looking for results, it absolutely is. I had a client who as a co-founder, um, had really sharp elbows. And so the entire team was working around him going to the other founder because they felt like no one wanted to talk to him. And so he came to me to work together. And after six months to a year of work, his 360 reviews were like, I don't know what you did with the old one, but we don't want him anymore. We'll keep the newer version. Um, and people started reaching out and feeling like he had their back. And it was all because we started working with his somatic experience of urgency. He was constantly demanding of people, constantly hypercritical. Because he had the sense of urgency, we have to do a good job. And as we examined 
how much that lived in his body versus how much of that was true. Like the cognitive is important. We have to understand what is actually urgent versus what is that felt sense of, oh my God, I have to get back to this Slack right now, or this email needs my response in the next five minutes instead of it being able to wait 10 hours. And so really examining that and where that urgency is coming from and the belief system wrapped around it could not be in the cognitive, but actually on the body level. Yeah. I'd ask him, where does that live in you? What color is it? What texture? Does it have a voice? And the more we had a true conversation with his body, the more those habitual neural pathways actually could unravel in a way where the cognitive understanding could never go. Yeah. Yeah. I love that example. You know, uh, James Joyce wrote a number of books, uh, obviously, uh, but one was called The Dubliner. And I don't know if you're familiar with it, but the opening line in the dub, uh, in, in, in the book was, uh, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. And mm, I don't know that line. That's a good one. And, and, and that has been my experience with a lot of particularly, uh, uh, high performance leaders that value them, that they, their identity is wrapped in, uh, the results that they produce. And that that linkage becomes so pervasive that they lose sight of the fact that they're actually in a relational uh, Petri dish that they have to actually work with others in order to produce those results. And that gets to be an interesting conversation when we start unbundling that, obviously. And it's not just about the cognition, as you're saying. It, you know, there's a whole other di- dimension that if we can have clients that are willing to take the risk to take the dive. Uh, It gets to be interesting. That's so beautifully said, Blaine, about how um, this identity with performance um, is so pervasive. And yet really the true performance is linked to the relationships of the people in their organization. And that's really the premise of my work too. And, And it's so interesting because Though counterintuitive, it can be very relieving to a leader to say, oh, right, I don't have to hold the whole ship together. I have to foster relationships with folks who foster relationships with folks that actually create and hold the ship together. You know, and that piece, what are you going to say? No, go ahead. Go ahead. This is a wonderful thread. I want to just kind of keep going on this. Yeah. And that piece, that, that, that piece of work to shift from I am not the performance to I am, you know, the conductor of this stunning performance mm-hmm. is actually very intense and very powerful. I actually have been working with a CEO who viscerally, it feels like all of the demands of the company, which is a large company, becomes him. Yeah. And one of, and this is the somatic piece we've been working with is how do we help him feel his body boundary so that he knows that every demand that comes in, every person asking something of him, every piece of money he has to fundraise doesn't live in him, but is outside of him. And yeah. when it becomes outside, when we even push that boundary out, out of his body boundary, somatically, his experience is of space of clarity, yeah. of perspective, so that he then can actually attend to the relationship instead of 
obsessing about the task. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, the visual of that moving it outside is, I think, very powerful, particularly those of you that are listening right now. I, I want you to just kind of explore that in your own experience. You know, when you feel overwhelmed mm -hmm. and, and the way that the pace of life is for many of us today, we will tend to feel overwhelmed. And there's an internalization of go, you know, that goes on when I'm starting to feel overwhelmed that if I can actually just, first of all, notice where in my body am I holding whatever it is that is overwhelming me, and then find a way to place it outside of myself. And the way that you described it, uh, part of that process is, what color is it? What does it feel like? Is it soft? Is it hard? You know, you start to label. And if I can I begin to identify something in that way, what I can observe by definition is not who I am. And that you, yeah. you can break that, you know, that, 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 that whole symbiosis just by simply noticing and labeling and moving it from the inside to the outside. And then it gives you some breathing room. And when you've got breathing room, exactly. you're more resourceful. <laughs> I love what you just said, that it is not me. The moment you ask, what color is it? How does it feel? Is the moment your brain starts to understand in your body, oh, this might not be me. Mm -hmm. It's the bringing the observer online. Um, I We didn't mention this, but I've been a longtime Buddhist practitioner since I was 13. Um, I've done many silent meditation retreats over my lifetime. And um, that piece has been such a blessing to me in terms of understanding that my thoughts are not me. Yeah. And I get to choose when to believe them and when to not. And so what we're talking about at the somatic level is a very deeper, I think, more sophisticated understanding is that even that felt sense, that anxiety, that overwhelm actually isn't me. It lives within me. Mm -hmm. But I get to decide what I want my relationship to it to be. And that's so powerful and so empowering. And that's such a the, just the beautiful, magnific magnificent part of this work. It is. And and I'm, folks, you know, that may have sounded like a drive-by comment. And, and I want to mark this out. It's my relationship with the thing that causes me the aggravation that I have. The thing itself is neutral. But it's my relationship. Change my relationship with something and the thing itself changes. And that's, you know, where life has a lot of potential magic in it because everything is a relationship. Everything is a relationship. And most people don't understand that the nature of their relationship is what's causing them the problem. It's not the thing, the person, the event. It's the relationship I have with it. That's, I mean, yeah, That's Rachel, I, I could go on with you forever in this conversation. I really could. This is, this is right in my wheelhouse. I love this stuff. Um, you know, I'm going to quote something out of your book here. Uh, and I actually, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I got it last night. Haven't had a chance to really jump into it, but I did read the uh, acknowledgments in the forward here. At the end of one of the many days that I was working on this book, I sat down to dinner with my husband. I just finished chapters one and two of the book I mentioned proudly, and my husband just stared at me. And he said, you have an infant, a three-year-old, you're managing two construction projects, a move, and running a business. How did you write chapters one and two, he asked in disbelief. Being able to navigate the complexity of life 
uh, is what you bring to the table. You know, the, the, you, it's, this isn't just a, a theoretical way that you approach the work that you do with your clients. You live this. Folks, I want you to check out, uh, you know, Rachel's, uh, material. Where, where can people find out more about what you're up to and who you are? Yeah, thanks for asking, Glenn. We are at MetaWorks, M-E-T-T-A-W-O-R-K-S dot I-O. You can also find me on LinkedIn under Rachel Ryder or Instagram, Meta, that's two T's, Meta.Works. Check us out. We'd be so happy to have you. Oh, folks, it's it's a rich site. I've been on it. I've, I've you know, poked and prodded all around it uh, and get a copy of the book. And I'm going to just, those of you that are watching this on, on, on video, who you are is how you lead. Yeah, it's available in all of the regular places, obviously. Uh, but this is a really well done book. And I, like I said, I just got it last night and I've thumbed through it. I love the layout and I love the way that she positions, that Rachel positions this conversation that we've been having uh, on this episode. So, Rachel, thank you so much. Uh, Thank you. I'd, I'd love to have one. you back on the show again. We can do a little bit uh, different exploration around another aspect of this, you know, perhaps. I'd love that. Okay. Love that. Folks, you've been listening to uh, The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Uh, check out my website, uh, blainebartlett.com, or you can also go to learn.blainebartlett.com. And that's the site that's got most of my, my resource materials and whatnot. A lot of it's available for free. Don't be shy. Yeah, just you know, find out what uh, what would be useful for you, and, and download it or uh, ping me, and uh, we'll have a conversation. And until next time, find ways to be a center of distribution in your life, not just a center of accumulation. Um, you're, you'll find that life works a whole lot better when you're working that way. Take care, and I'll see you on the next episode. Hi, I'd like to uh, ask you to do something for me, if you wouldn't mind. If you like this episode, I'd like you to uh, not only subscribe. Uh, on your favorite site, but I'd also like you to uh, give a rating. Uh, ideally, a, a five-star rating would be you know, greatly appreciated, but I think more importantly also would be just uh, some uh, comments. Uh, that helps with the algorithm and it helps build the, uh, the audience with this. And more than anything else, if you could um, invite somebody else to listen, just share this episode with a friend, with a colleague, and uh, I'd like to see how we can grow the soul of business. I think it makes a difference. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>